experience doubt. By the way, I'm only preaching 15 minutes today. You just experienced doubt. <laughs> ah, I gotcha. Um, that's probably sinful of me to make you doubt. I don't want to make you doubt. But anyway, you just did experience doubt. Um, I am not preaching 15 minutes today. Uh, it's kind of a sarcasm, but... Do you ever really experience true doubt? I mean, I think it's natural for us to doubt other people, right? Um, sometimes we doubt when people say things that they're true. Sometimes we doubt circumstances. We doubt our boss. We doubt our coworkers. We doubt blah, 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 blah. Just a general attitude of skepticism. But I guess what I want to ask this morning is, do you ever doubt in faith? Do you ever doubt things that you believe? Do you ever doubt God? Do you ever come to God with questions and sometimes skepticism? Do you ever feel like you're just not sure? We're going to talk about doubt this morning. And as you guys know, we're in the middle of a series, Complete Compassion. And we have been looking at who Jesus is and our response to Jesus in every, every season of life. Every season, in every season of life, you know, you need to know that you can trust Jesus and you can go to him to receive grace and to receive help in your time of need. Jesus has the hope and the help that we desperately need. Jesus is the hope and the help that we desperately need. And let me tell you this, okay, if you don't hear anything else, Today, which I hope you do, but in case you don't, if you don't get anything else from this series, get this, in every season of your life, no matter where you are in life, I want you to know, because God wants you to know, that you can trust Jesus, and you can receive from Jesus the grace and the help and the hope that you desperately need. I don't care where you are in life and where you come from. There is never a time that Jesus does not stand with his arms open, ready for you to come to him, to give yourself to him in faith, and for you to trust him and receive from him the grace and the help and the hope that you desperately need. Amen? Amen. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where you'll be tomorrow. I don't know if tomorrow you get a phone call or next week you'll get fired. I don't know, but I know this. No matter where you are in your life, you can go to Jesus and you can trust Him. You can find Him the same always. He's the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He will be the same forever. Our God who promises is faithful. Amen? And you can always trust Him. We've been looking in Luke chapter 7. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. And as you guys know, if you've been here, if you're, if you're new today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And uh, we would love to uh, just walk with you in this journey of faith and this journey of life. But we take books of the Bible here at ICC and just walk through them verse by verse. And we have been in chapter 7 for the last three weeks. And the amazing thing about the way that the Gospels are written, the way that God has organized them for us, is they're so relatable. And we have seen characters in Luke chapter 7 that we can identify with. We saw in verses 1 through 11, who? The centurion. 
And through the centurion, man, this centurion came to Jesus with a deep need. He had a need, and he came to Jesus recognizing that Jesus had the power to do anything that he wanted to do. And he came to Jesus trusting Jesus in full faith and confidence in what Jesus could do, and in his compassion toward those who believed. And we saw that in times of our need, we can trust Jesus, and we can go to him in faith and confidence in who he is, and his good will, and his total power for all who will just ask him in belief. And then we moved on. Last week we studied verses 11 through 17, and we looked at the widow in the city of Nain, who had lost her only son. And we talked about together how in our times of brokenness, in times where you just crying yourself to sleep at night and you feel like it's total loss, total despair, total ruin, and you just feel broken and your heart is just heavy. And you don't feel like you know how to go on. You can go to Jesus because He knows, He understands, and He's moving towards you already. And you can know that He is a compassionate Savior in times of our brokenness that he empathizes and that he provides the hope that we so desperately need. We see him in time of need, we see him in time of brokenness, and today we're going to continue on in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to see that in times of doubt, in times of doubt, we can trust Jesus. Before I start this, uh, I just wanted to say this. We're going to be talking about a guy named John the Baptist. He was a former member of ICC. And, um, not really. But Baptist has nothing to do with his denomination. Does it, everybody know that? Um, there's some people who believe that, don't believe them. All right? It has nothing to do with his denomination. It has to do with the fact that he was known as what? John the Baptizer. Okay. So, this, we're about to encounter John the Baptist. Now, who is John the Baptist? He's the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He's the one that God sent to say, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths in the wilderness. He's the one who went out before Christ. Remember he was born of Elizabeth and Zechariah when Elizabeth was like 189, not really, but she was old, old, old. And it was a, it was a miraculous type birth that she was able to conceive with Zechariah. And she was promised that in her, I mean, this this guy, John the Baptist, was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was going to prepare the way within the people for the coming King of Kings who would usher in the very kingdom of God for all eternity. And he went out, man, when he came out of the womb, he was pretty much like he was just ah, ready to go. Because he went out preaching. Man, this guy was a preacher. Repent! The kingdom of heaven is at near repent, believe there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Repent. He called people, said, you, you cannot count on your heritage. You cannot count on your good works. Put away the filth. Put away the garbage. God is coming. Walk the talk. God wants to have entrance into your heart. He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. You remember the day that he saw Jesus? Right before the baptism, behold, John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. This is John the Baptist. Everybody familiar? Okay. John the Baptist. Now we pick up here in verse 18, and Jesus has begun his ministry. John is in prison. We learn from Matthew chapter 11, which is the parallel account. John has not been witnessing what Jesus has been doing as we've studied the last two weeks. This healing of the servant, and now the raising of the widow's son from the dead. And here we come to verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues of evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here we have John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who God had commissioned and prepared to go before Jesus, the King of Kings, to declare to the people, Behold, the Lamb of God is here. Behold, the kingdom of God has come. And what do we see happening with John? Look back at verse 19. When he hears all that Jesus is doing, his disciples come back and report all of these things. What does John ask? Are, 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 you, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? I know there are some people who 
believe that John is not really experiencing doubt in this moment. But I think the signs are clear that he is. Now, there's a difference in doubt and unbelief, and we're going to talk through that in just a second. But I do believe that John has a serious question that he needs Jesus to answer. He's experiencing a moment in his life where he has a question that he doesn't know a certain answer to, and so he's sending his disciples off to get the answer that he needs. I love the fact that the Bible is honest about people. Amen? Because sometimes, y'all, all right, let's just get real with each other. Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> I'm a messed up person. Right? Okay, y'all know that. You're messed up too. There is not a single one of us who is perfect. All of us are flawed. And I love that the Bible paints people as they are. Messed up. Needy for forgiveness. Needy for grace. Right? Just trying to stumble along. I can relate to that. And the Bible is full of people, including John the Baptist, who experience questions about the things that God says, or questions about the things that they believe, or questions about just life and faith in God himself. The Bible's full of it. I mean, you can think... Uh, the apostles pretty much had a nickname. What was their nickname? Oh, ye of little faith. Right? That was the club that they started. Oh, ye, ye little faith club. <laughs> right? And God used the apostles to, to build the foundation of the church. Moses doubted God. Remember when God came to Moses in the bush? What did he say? Well, uh, 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 I'm not a good speaker. I'm not so sure about this, right? Um... You can think about Jeremiah, you can think about Gideon, Elijah, you can think about the apostles, you can think about Thomas. Remember Thomas? I just don't know. Until I see his hands and see his feet, I'm just, I don't know. When the Bible talks about doubt, okay, this is relief, you ready? All but one instance in the Gospels, every time doubt is mentioned, it's always among a believer. It's always among believers. Doubt is a normal part of the faith journey. It's a normal part of the Christian experience. And we are seeing it here with Paul. What is doubt? Is it confusion? Is it perplexity? What is it? Simple definition. It is a struggle to believe. It can be momentary. It can be prolonged. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to believe. Lee Strobel, y'all familiar with Lee Strobel? In his, he writes some of the case for Christ, case for faith, all that stuff. He says, there are three kinds of people. There are people who have experienced doubt. There are people who will experience doubt. And then there are people who are brain dead. <laughs> that was funny. Um, why does he say that? Because he says, if... I'll just read it to you. He says, in other words, if you are thinking, you are a thinking person at all, if you seriously contemplate your faith and what it means to follow Jesus Christ, then chances are that every once in a while you're going to come down with some questions, some issues, some uncertainties, and <coughs> some doubts. And all of us can relate to that, right? 
Okay, I don't know if I want to make you raise your hand or not. Who's ever experienced doubt? Look around, ladies and gentlemen. These are all people who profess faith in Christ. We all experience it. It is a normal part of Christian experience. Now, it's different, though, than unbelief. Doubt is different from unbelief. How so? Think about it for a second. I'll give you 30 seconds to think about it. Anybody got an answer? All right. Doubt, let me just give it to you simply. Doubt is a matter of the mind. It's a matter of not understanding what God is doing or why he's doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. Unbelief is such that you're not willing to submit to God, even when you do understand it. You're not willing to submit to what Scripture says or what you should do, what God asks of us. Everybody understand that difference? Doubt is one of the mind. Unbelief is one of the will. One is a normal part of Christian experience, and, and God wants us to work through and deal with doubt. It's a part of us having minds and not totally being the person of God ourselves. We're going to have doubt. Now, it's not okay to stay in doubt forever, but we're going to have it. And it is okay to work through it. But unbelief is sin. The matter of the will, it is sin. Everybody see that difference? So we're talking about doubt today. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, and you're not willing to give your life to the Lord, let me just tell you, this message, I'm not saying it is okay for you to be in unbelief. It is not okay to be in unbelief. That is sin. I'm saying what we're talking about today is describing doubt. Dealing with those questions that come up in our mind. So, we've got to understand this. And to understand it, here's what I want to do first. I'll just tell you where we're going. First, I want to show you from the text the reasons that we doubt. If we can understand the reasons that we doubt, we can get a hold on moving toward faith and moving out of doubt into full certainty and confidence in who God is for us, okay? Then we're going to talk about when we doubt, what do we do, okay? Reasons for doubt, you ready? Number one, think about these as like a triangle. There's a base reason that we're going to get to that kind of it, it undergirds everything, but first, a lot of times the way it surfaces is in our circumstances. Number one, circumstances. What is John's circumstance here? Where? Where is he? In prison. Alright, we know that from Matthew 11, verse 2, if you want to cross-reference it. John is sitting in prison. Why is he sitting in prison? Well, because John confronted Herod, the ruler. The Roman ruler. He confronted him over his immorality. Because, see, Herod took his brother's wife, and slept with her, and was very much engaged in immorality in this relationship. And not only that, but he had a crush on his teenage niece. Herod was a guy who was walking far from the Lord. And John 
was a guy who knew with confidence that he had been called by the Lord and he wasn't going to go into any kind of, well, that's just Herod, and trying to just justify it or sweep it under the rug. No, John called out Herod for what he was doing in his personal life and in the public life. Well, when Herod, the ruler at that time, is kind of different than the president today, absolute power. Guess what Herod does? See you, John. Puts John in prison. John sitting in prison. You think it was hard to be in prison? Here's a guy who had been out in the wilderness for so long, wearing camel's hair and eating honey from bees and stuff like that. Right? And now he's in a little confined cell. You think that was hard? The answer is yes. Right? John's circumstances changed. And they were hard. And they were difficult. And they were tragic. And when circumstances come in and begin to change, begin to be difficult, begin to be hard, when the heat rises in the kitchen, right? Guess what is likely to follow? Doubt. It's, good, it's easy in the good times, is it not? All right? All of us have a lot going on for us. If I put you out in the middle of Africa right now, let you live in conditions that many of our brothers and sisters in the world have to live in, would it be as easy to trust God? I pray so, but I bet you some of you would have doubt. I remember when I went to Africa, about the third month I was there, I go, what in the world am I doing? Am I really supposed to be here? I mean, the call of God was on me just as clear as day at one point that I was supposed to go. And I began to, because of the circumstances that I was in, 120 degree heat, got beat up a couple of times, we just, it was just hard. It was hard. Life was hard. And then what happened? Started doubting. Well, not only is it circumstance, but the circumstance is built on something else. Number two, it's built on expectation. It's not just when things go wrong, but it's that we ex did not expect for things to go wrong, or the way that they're going. Anybody ever experienced this? John... I think most certainly did. He's sitting in a dungeon, and humanly speaking, this is the reward for faithfulness? I mean, you, I have been proclaiming what God had told me to proclaim. I have been faithful my whole life. And, and, and now I'm in the prison? I mean, this is what I'm supposed to get? I mean, that's not fair, God. I'm the front-runner to the Messiah, and, and this is what's going on? The expectation is different than the present circumstance. And you see what happens when that takes place? Doubt. Because you aren't experiencing what you thought you should be experiencing. You aren't getting what you think you deserve. Things aren't going according to your plans. And guess what? Doubt. Let me just say this. Doubts arise because people have wrong expectations. They have a view of a plan that is not God's view at all. 
Sometimes we expect God to do something in a certain way, and if He doesn't do it, we think that He's failed us. We begin to question who He is altogether. It can come just as easy as not getting a job. It can come with just some decision that is not the decision that you wanted. It can come with some medical condition that you weren't expecting. It can come with a death. It can come with something good, something... It can come just whenever God does something that you're not expecting. That you didn't plan. Doubt can creep in the door. Everybody with me? Because we think somehow that we can control God by our behavior. And we can't. But expectation is built on something else. You've got circumstance that is hard or just some, some particular circumstance and the reason that creates doubt is because that's built on expectation, but that expectation is built because, number three, there's fundamentally a misconception of God. What was John's question? Are you the one to come, or is there another? Now, why would John ask a question like that? Well, you have to put yourself in his shoes. Because, see, the current theory of the day among Jews in John's day, before Jesus appeared on the scene, was that the Messiah was going to be what? A king. A king. He was going to come in and kill off all the Romans. He was going to kill off the oppressors. The Messiah was going to come in and establish rule and reign. And the Jews were going to have freedom in all the earth. And all the nations would serve them. Which, let me just tell you, Jesus is going to do one day. But the problem was, in that thought of the day, they only pictured one coming of the Messiah and not two. You understand? We understand now, in hindsight, that there is two comings of Jesus. There's his first coming, and then there's his second coming. The first coming is to inaugurate the kingdom. To invite all those Sinners, to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. His message is one of love. His message is one of grace. His message is one of forgiveness, of acceptance. Come in. Receive grace and help in your time of need. That is where we are right now. And there's going to be a, a second coming. Everybody get that, right? Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, he will establish the eternal kingdom of God. And at that point, there is no further hope to believe or not believe. That is the day of judgment. But look. In John's day, they only thought there was one coming. So John shows up. He's proclaiming the Messiah, and he's being faithful. But then Jesus shows up, and Jesus is not going around doing the things that John thought the Messiah would do. Jesus is talking about love and grace, and he's healing, and he's doing all these things. And it's not this mighty show of the force of God and the power of God on the people. His conception about God was what? Wrong. And he says, are you the Messiah or is there another? Because in that day, they had this tradition. It's not even in the Old Testament, but they thought that Elijah would come and then Jeremiah would come. And then prophet, and then this prophet, and that prophet, and that prophet. And they thought that all of these prophets were going to lead up to the Messiah. 
That's when, in Matthew 16, when, the, when Jesus asks his disciples, he says, Who do you say that I am? And what do they respond? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're this prophet. Remember when they asked that? That's why. Because people are going, is he the Messiah or is he the forerunners? But even the fact that they thought there were going to be all these forerunners was something they thought. It wasn't something the Word of God said. And when you have a misconception about God, guess what happens? Doubt. Because you can't fathom that God would be any different than the one that you think he is. The same is true today, y'all. So much of the reason that we doubt is because we like to create in our own minds who God is. And not accept Him as He really is. Let me just tell you, this idea of like the prosperity gospel, y'all ever heard of this? It's the biggest bunk you've ever heard in your life, but it is selling books and hot like hotcakes all over the United States and the world. Anything, by the way, any movement that has any word in front of the word gospel, don't trust it. You just just go with the gospel. Prosperity gospel is bunk. But we buy into this sometimes. I come to Jesus, man, because when I come to Jesus, my marriage is better, and I'm healthy, and I'll always have money in my bank account, and he'll always let me live in suburban America, and I'll have kids that won't have sicknesses, I'll have a job that is great, I'll retire early, man, let me trust Jesus because I get the perfect life when I do. You know what's wrong with that? It's not what Jesus says. It's not what the Bible promises. Look, I can tell you to come to Jesus, and I want you to, but guess what? I cannot tell you that Jesus is going to do anything other for you than save your soul and give you His Holy Spirit and prepare a home for you in heaven for all eternity. That is the only thing I can say with confidence. When you come to Christ, He will change you from the inside out, and your soul will be His and his home will be your home, and his inheritance will be your inheritance for eternity. He does not promise you anything else. When you come to Jesus, you come and you get Jesus. When I married Michelle, which was a great day, baby. <laughs> I didn't take Michelle. I didn't stand up at the altar and say, I take you. You know, He says, will you take this woman to be your wife? And I said, well, I'll take her to be my cook. <laughs> I'll take her to clean my house I'll take her to do this I'll take her to do that I'll take her to do the things that I want her to do no, when I married Michelle I married Michelle I took Michelle for who she is I didn't take the part of Michelle that I liked and leave the part that I didn't I took Michelle I'm so glad <laughs> when you come to Jesus you don't come picking and choosing what you want to take of Jesus. You take Jesus. And who he is is not predetermined by who you want him to be or who you think he is. He is who he is regardless of what you think of him. You need to know Jesus. And let me tell you, doubt creeps in, in our life when we begin to have misconceptions of who God is. 
And on that rock comes all these expectations that are wrong. And then when the expectations don't happen, we wind up in some circumstance, guess what happens? Well, I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Everybody track that with me. You see this progression happen in your own life? I see it happen in mine. So the question is, what do we do? Because I've already told you, you're going to face doubt. It's going to happen. Well, knowing the reasons is good, but let me just tell you really briefly what you do. First, you admit it. What did John do? What did John do? Did he keep it to himself? I'm asking a question. Did he keep it to himself? No. He called it for what it is. Let me just tell you, some of the biggest problem in our life is we don't name things in our heart for what it is. We were talking about this last weekend at Couples Retreat. Call sin for sin. Call doubt for doubt. I'm experiencing doubt right now. Let me just read you this quote. I just love it. This is by John Hamby. He says this, The problem is that some Christians leave their doubt untreated because they don't want to admit that they have it. They erroneously think that to be a real Christian, they have to have absolute certainty about everything regarding their faith, so they're afraid to admit when doubt starts eating away at them. Y'all ever come into faith circles or come into church and you, oh my goodness, I can't let anybody know I'm struggling with that question. No. Healing happens. Look, can you imagine, it's like people who refuse to admit they have a problem, they never go to the doctor. You know, my toe starts turning black, and it just gets blacker and blacker and blacker. I, nothing's wrong with my toe. It's fine. There's nothing wrong. And suddenly I'm lumping around. I'm totally cool. It's all good. Well, look, that sounds really gross. Black toe. <laughs> I hope I never have that. <laughs> to get the healing you need for your toe, what do you got to do? You got to first admit that you have a problem with your toe. So you can go to the doctor and get the medicine you need. Y'all, how do you expect to receive healing in your heart and answers from God? When you won't even admit that you have a need. The church is a place where it's okay to be not okay. Amen? This is a place where we can talk openly with each other because we don't have it all together. God does. It's Him and us. We don't have to pretend like we're not struggling. I know you're struggling. Okay? So just know that. Philip Yancey, who I love, in Reaching for the Invisible God, says this, Doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to hide or to fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. That's awesome. It's not something to hide or to fear, but bring it out so that living tissue, the Lord may heal that doubt, may answer those questions. Everybody with me? Admit it. Make sure it's not unbelief. Make sure it's a true question of doubt. And when it is, bring it out to the open. Let it be exposed. But the second thing is this. Not just admit it, but where are you going with it? Admit it and then go directly to God with your doubt. Let me just tell you. I know a lot of folks that admit their doubt. All they do is sit at Starbucks and commiserate about how doubtful they are. Well, I just don't know. That just doesn't seem true. And I just can't believe this. And I just can't believe that. And I'm just struggling with that. I just don't know how he let that little girl die. 
And all they do, I'm, these are serious questions, y'all. But all people do, some people, they only admit doubt, and then they just go to everybody else. And they go to their self. Oh, self, isn't that terrible? I just can't imagine self, how that, and it just, let me just tell you, if you're not careful, doubt can drive a wedge between you and Christ that is sometimes feels insurmountable because you're not dealing with it correctly. When you experience doubt, when you experience questions, it's okay to be open with others about it, but guess what John the Baptist did? He had a genuine question that he wanted to know the answer to. What did he do? All right, boys, let's sit down and powwow about this, how Jesus is not who we we're just wondering. Let's just talk about how we're wondering, how we're skeptical, how we're... No, what did he do? He went directly to Jesus. And when he goes directly to Jesus, it proves that he has faith. Doubt can either, either drive us away from God or be the motivation to study the evidence more carefully and draw us closer to God. Y'all, I know a lot of people in this room who have struggled with doubt. And because they've done the right thing with it, they've gone deeper into the Word of God, they've gone deeper into the Bible. <coughs> they are now stronger in their faith because of their doubt than they were before they answered the question. Tracking? When you do the right thing with doubt, guess what it's going to do? It's going to make you stronger in your faith, but if you do the wrong thing with doubt, guess what it will do? It will drive you further away from faith and from the heart of God than you ever thought you wanted to be or could go. You've got to admit it, but when you admit it, you go directly to God with Him. And finally, this. You need to recognize the compassion of Jesus. Jesus hears John the Baptist and asks this question. And in verse 21, we see Jesus' response. This is really interesting to me. John asked a question that he wasn't sure about. And what, what did Jesus do? Did he say, well, how stupid of a question is that, John? Duh, I'm the Messiah. Didn't God reveal to you and your mother that this was to be? Duh. Wake up, you stupid head. Michelle hates the word stupid. We're not a, I called the dog stupid the other day, and she said, you can't call the dog stupid. So, anyway, I'm learning, but no. No, that's not how Jesus responded. Did Jesus turn to the crowd and say, look at John, how pitiful, what a pathetic loser. I thought this guy had it together, and now look at him, just falling apart. When you go to Jesus, you know, sometimes our mind wants to think that when I go to God with this question, that that's how God will respond. But guess what? You can know with confidence. That's not how he responded. How does Jesus respond? He says, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And then he goes on to speak about John. 
You can know this. When you go to Jesus, he is compassionate. And he knows where you are. And he is the one who has the help that you need. He's the one who can change your heart from doubt back to faith. When you go to Jesus, you're showing that you trust him. You're saying, it's just like the guy who said his daughter needed to be healed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You remember that quote? Y'all ever feel that way? I do. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when you go with that kind of attitude, Jesus is compassionate. He responds, and he shows you that he knows where you are. Do you think Jesus didn't know where John was? Of course he knew where he was. Of course he knew where he was. And his disciples would have told him he knows where John is. Go ahead and, and put up the next few points, because we're going to close with this. Yes. Here's what Jesus does when you come to him. He can inform you of the true person of God. He can help you realize that God does not have to meet your expectations. Do you know that? You change to God. He doesn't change to you. God knows. In your hard circumstances, God knows. Trust Him. And let me tell you this. Part of Jesus' response shows us this principle. You need to focus on what God is doing, not what God is not doing. He's trying to wake John up in this moment. John's sitting there going, why am I in prison? Why are the things that I think should be happening not happening? And Jesus is going, well, look. The sick are healed. The blind are receiving sight. The dead are raised. Focus on what God is doing what he's, rather than what he's not doing. Sometimes we get stuck in our little jail cell filled with doubt. And we need to zoom out of our jail cell, right? Out of our particular circumstance and see that God is at work around us. God is still doing great and awesome things. Just look to what God is doing. And let me just tell you this. If you have nowhere to look other than the cross of Jesus Christ, just look upon the cross. Don't look to other people. Don't look to your circumstance. Don't look to what you think, what you expect. Just look to Jesus. And you can say with confidence, if God is for me, there is nothing that can be against me. If he who did not give up his own son. If he did that, then what else could he not do for me? Right? Just look to Jesus. Realize that God is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. He cares about you. And realize that your doubt does not negate your ministry. Sometimes we let doubt Keep us away from being faithful and being active. We think, oh my goodness, if I'm struggling with all this doubt, there's no way God could use me. I'm just too much of it. No, 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 no. What did Jesus say about John? Look at it. Verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. But the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. At this point in history... <coughs> Jesus doesn't turn around to criticize John. He turns around and says, John is a f has been faithful unto me. 
He has been my prophet. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. He's not a, a guy out there in, in luxurious clothes. He has been faithful. He has stood steadfast. He has had courage. He has been the man. Don't you go thinking now that John the Baptist has ruined it all because he has a simple question that he wants answered by the living Christ who can answer it. No. He's still my man. Y'all see that? Let your doubts drive you into greater faith and not away from God. Go to Him. Admit it. Go to Him. And receive the grace and the help that you so desperately need. Isn't Jesus awesome? We're going to move into a time of response. And... I do want to give you one verse that could just be perhaps a verse that you could hang your life on. Hebrews 10, verse 23, it says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I pray that if you are a believer in the room today, that this would be the anchor to your soul. Let you hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering, because God, who promised, is faithful. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what doubts you may be experiencing, but I do pray that you could hold fast to the hope that you have found in Jesus. He is faithful. He might not do the things that you expect. He might not be the, the God who you thought that He would be. But He is God and He is wonderful. Lay down your misconceptions. Lay down your expectations. Lay down looking around at everything else but Christ and just realize that Christ is good. He is the great and merciful high priest he is our Savior. He is our hope. Where will you turn except to Him? I pray that this morning, if you're struggling, that you will just say to God, God, increase my faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <coughs> I return to you. I am faithful to you, God. Help me to have your perspective on what's going on right now. And I pray that if you're not here this morning, I mean, if you're here this morning and you're not if you've never come to a place of true belief in Christ, you're dealing with a very different thing than doubt. You're dealing with unbelief, and you are still in your sin. If you're apart from Christ, the wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical. It is spiritual, and it is eternal. All we, like sheep, we've all gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. Apart from Christ, we are in sin, and our sin separates us forever from God. If there's not one who's willing to step in and save us. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to take the death that we deserve. The penalty has to be met. And if it's not Christ in our place, then it's us. But Christ has taken our place. He has become sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I pray that if that's you today, that you would just place your life 
on Jesus Christ. That you would admit that you are a sinner and admit that you're in need of grace. And that you would believe in the Lord Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a promise that is yes and true because of Jesus.